Random Inks Productions and the Credible Nerds present the Fourth Taviran, a Wheel of Time podcast. Hey everyone, it's Justin from the Fourth Taviran podcast, and I want to thank you for listening to this excerpt from our last episode, episode six, where we review chapters twenty-seven through thirty-two from Eye of the World, book one in the Wheel of Time. This excerpt is from the end of that episode, the last 20 minutes or so, and it deals with the Children of the Light or the White Cloaks. So I isolated this segment and provided it as its own episode, so hope you enjoy. Thanks. Mm -hmm. All right. So like I said earlier, we want to talk about the White Cloaks, the Children of the Light, and what their deal is, uh, what their organization is, and that sort of thing. So the, the Children of the Light were founded during the War of the Hundred Years. Mm-hmm. Their first leader was Lothar Montalar. Kind of some backstory. I, sorry. Go ahead. For me, I like backstory. So the War of the Hundred Years, what that was is after Hawkwing died, um, I think the war was like actually like 112 years or something like 123 years. I, I don't remember the exact time, but it was a long time. And what happened is Hawkwing had this great nation, right? The entire uh, area was controlled under one nation and he died and he didn't really have a set heir. And so basically chaos ensued. And there, there's a, this hundred year war of all these people trying to gain control of nations and take control, et cetera, et cetera. So during that time, there was a lot of uh, turmoil going through with dark friends, uh, you know, dark friends everywhere trying to get control, you know, th- from this power vacuum. And so that's where Lothar Mantelar came in. And he originally started like more as like a proselyting priest, right? Like uh, just kind of like, look, we got to start dark friends, you know, welcome to the light. Here's some scriptures. But you know what I mean? He, he started just basically preaching his gospel. And his gospel was, you know, coming to the light, basically. I mean, pretty much, you know, what you would think proselyting is. Yeah. So they start off as like a a priesthood, a group of priests that are proselytizing to spread the light and get rid of dark friends. Then it evolves slowly into a military force. I think that's a sign of the times, you know, the War of the Hundred Years. Or actually, no, it's during the War of the Hundred Years, so... And that was kind of their their culture. They were in this war, so they had to do something. So they end up wearing armor and carrying swords and helmets and things like that. But they always had a white cloak on and their their um, tabard, I guess you could say. Their cloaks and their tabards are, they had a, a golden sun on them. So that was their symbol, the golden sun. Um, and then they developed uh, different officers and uh, different factions within the Children of the Light. There was the the Hand of the Light, which was the High Inquisitor. And he ranks only below the Lord Captain Commander. And the Inquisitors, the High Inquisitor and the Inquisitors, they go around and they question people. They're nicknamed the Questioners. And this is what they're threatening to take Perrin to, is these guys. They basically torture people until they admit that they're dark friends and then they kill them. So no mm-hmm. one wants to talk to the questioners or get involved with them at all. Yeah, they are They are the fanatics of the fanatics. They determine uh, what is good and what's bad. And Breyer comments on this, right? He, bas- he basically says, like, they will get whatever they want to get out of you. If they've deemed you guilty, you're guilty before you've ever even admitted you're guilty. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, they are like the, they are like the Red Aja, but... Yeah in the children of the light. Uh, and I mean, they're 
pretty much the same thing, really. I mean, they're just super crazy. They're going to do what they're going to do regardless. And they stand apart, really, from the uh, the main children of the light. They, you know, as far as command structure goes, um, the, the head of, of the questioners is really just like a half step down from uh, the Lord Captain Commander as far as power goes. Yeah. So then they have their, they also have a spy network, which most or these organizations do. Um, and then the, the main group is the, the children of the light is a cavalry unit. They, they operate it within mounted cavalry, usually about groups of a hundred and each uh, group of a hundred is commanded by a Lord captain. And that's the highest rank next to or the highest ranked among the sold, the soldiers. And they, they will actually, they command a legion, which is, 2,000 people. And under the Lord Captain, there's Senior Lieutenant, Lieutenant, and Under Lieutenant. And under the Under Lieutenant is the 100 men. And they're the ones that control the 100 soldiers. Mm-hmm. But it's not an exact number of 100. So they're pretty organized. You know, they got a structure, a lot of discipline, um, things you'd expect from a military unit. So under the 100 men are Bannermen, and second bannerman, and then squadmen, second squadmen. So they, you know, they got it all figured out. But at the very top is the Lord Captain Commander, which in our story is... Pedro Nile. Pedro Nile, that's right. We haven't met him yet. Uh, if you're listening to this and you uh, haven't read it, we haven't met him yet. But if you've read it, you know who he is. He's considered a great captain of his time. Uh, so he's one of the best strategic minds out there. He's very well regarded for his prowess on the battlefield. He's been captain commander for, I think they said over 40 years at this time. So, I mean, he's been around. He knows what he's about, very respected, and uh, and he knows the power he wields, and he uses it quite well. And uh, a lot of people fear him for, for what he what he can do also because he seems to know things he's got a great spy network underneath him and i mean he he leads with with a hammer fit you know like an iron fist basically yeah and it's interesting it took me a while to figure this out in reading the story but um so the the main like the castle of the white cloaks is in amador um Mm -hmm. the country of amador and the capital city of amador is amadicia and so that's where their headquarters are. But the interesting thing is they're not part of any country or, you know, they have no allegiance to anyone but themselves. So they can go anywhere. They feel like they can go anywhere, any city, any country, any organization, and just come in, do what they want, basically. Mm-hmm. And uh, they, there's no one to oversee them or command them or boss them around outside of the Lord Captain Commander. I always thought that was interesting. Mm-hmm. Well, and they use the guise of, you know, well, if you don't let us in, it must mean, mean because you're, you're hiding your dark friend and you're hiding yeah, your dark. Yeah, your dark friends. Right? <laughs> and it's, it's totally, like I said, fanatics, right, that, that would say that, you know, if you don't let me do whatever I want to do, it's because you, you're evil, you know. And, uh, and so they're, they're just crazy how they go. And what's even more crazy is that countries allow them to do this, right? Countries are just allow them to come in and, and, you know, kind of push its people around and cause trouble and things because everywhere you go in every country, they always talk about, oh, great white cloaks. These guys are like yeah. jerks and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, well, you guys are your own countries. Why don't you just close your stinking borders and say you come here again, you know? And I guess I, in the end, it would probably be because the children of light is, is really a force to be reckoned with. They are very, very well-trained soldiers. They have a lot, a lot of people. I mean, I, 
you know, each banner or each Lord Captain is 2,000 men. And I think there's like t- at least 10 Lord Captains. I, I, I'm not even sure. Right. And so they, they control quite a large force. And so I, I just assume that the countries are just like, they're strong enough. I just don't want to, I don't really want to mess with them, but not big enough that I want to put a whole lot of effort to stopping it. Yeah. Yeah. I always wonder that too. Why don't they just fight them? But I guess that could be a drain of resources and I don't know. I always wondered what the benefit of the white cloaks were. Like what do they do to allow kings and queens to allow them in their cities and country? What, like what do they get out of it really? I I think it's just power, right? Like uh, they have a lot of influence. I mean, that's how they took over Amadecia and Amador, right? Is just through influence yeah. in the area. And they've expanded their, their uh, lands quite a bit under Pedro Nile uh, through, you know, through his influence and things like that. Um, I almost think it's like a sense of entitlement too, right? I mean, look at some of the like buyer, look at, you know, child buyer, look at some of the other uh, officers, how they are just like, you know, they act so far above everybody and that everybody owes them like, I can get housing wherever I want because I'm a child of the light. And, you know, like, it's like this self-righteousness in them. You know, I think it's just like kind of bred into them. And and I've often wondered when you're dealing with the children, like when it says children of the shadow, right? That, uh, um, that title, you know, for the chapter we covered. And I think it, it has a good point that they are, at, at the core, the, the you know, what, what it, the soul of the children of the light, you know, kind of what drives them is a good thing. But they've allowed it to corrupt them to be a bad thing, right? Because they determine what's good and what's bad. They determine what's a dark friend and what's not a dark friend. So if you get someone like child buyer that's making that decision, well, everybody's a dark friend. Everyone that doesn't agree with them is now a dark friend. And if you get somebody that's a little bit more understanding like Bornhold, you're okay. But even Bornhold allows buyer to do what buyer does, right? And uh, so, you know, I think that's a that's really apt named children of the shadow because I've, you know, you see that they kind of go to the shadow. I mean, the head inquisitor is, ends up being a dark friend. And so I think they've just been, uh, I think that that was like a prime target for the shadow to infiltrate and turn because, you know, everything about them should be a good thing. Like, how could you say like, you know, Hey, this group's bad because they're preaching against dark friends, right? It's hard to say that out loud, but their actions are completely dark friendish, but they're so strong. No one wants to to say that they're scared of them. And, you know, I mean, when you really read into this children of light, their military organization, very strong, very powerful, um, very well trained. I think they're probably more trained than about anybody out there. And then the head of the children is a great captain of the land. There's only four great captains. He's one of them. And so I think that, you know, it was just easy pickings for him, you know, as far as the, uh, the shadow goes. And, and we see what happens, right? Pedro Nile gets assassinated. And then Asanwa, the High Inquisitor, takes control, uh, basically through another Lord Captain. And he's in charge. He can do whatever he wants for the shadow and under the guise of goodness. Yeah. So it's pretty, I don't know, pretty interesting. I actually like the children. I like what they turn into, especially at the end. You know, like you see their fanatics and stuff like that. But with, you know, Galad Damadred on their head, uh, you know, at the end, if you read through the books, we find out that, you know, he becomes Lord Captain and a Swordmaster, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, so we see that. And then, you know, he, he kind of shows 
what the white cloak should have been all along. Yeah. Yeah. They end up having like, it's interesting. The white cloaks themselves as an organization has a character arc and they come out different in the end. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, and think about it too. Like, like I was talking about the corruption of them because Mordith was able to infiltrate the white cloaks and become an officer and nobody questioned it. Nobody was like, Oh, this guy's too crazy. This guy's like off his rocker. Everyone was like, Oh yeah, that's cool. Like what we want to just cleanse the entire two rivers. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. And if, if you were to look at anybody in the whole story and say, that's a dark friend, it would be him, you know, it'd be Pat and Fane, AKA Ordeath, AKA Mordeath, AKA Mordeath you know, whatever he's calling himself now, it would be him. And they didn't see that. Or if they did, they didn't care. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. They didn't care um, because it was such a not uncommon thing to have these officers do things like this. And I think that's the whole idea that, you know, children of the shadow, like I've said before. And, um, but they end up being a really good thing. The question is, do you think that they exist beyond the end of the book? Because they're not a country, uh, they they technically technically aren't their own country. But according to the uh, uh, what Rand had him sign, right, the peace agreement, that all everything remains the same basically. And so you can't deny that they have a city and influence and this and that. So do they still exist? And if they do, what role would they really take? Yeah. Well, I think they exist um, as far as what role. I think they're going to have to try and figure that out. That's what Galad is going to have to figure out. You know, what's, what role do they play going forward? Are they going to be a military organization or are they going to go back to uh, kind of a religious type organization with priests and that sort of thing or what? Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's they almost, should be both. Yeah. Well, it's almost like if they stay in a military organization, they would slowly convert to becoming Aiel like what the IEL are going to do, right? Where they're going to more police, yeah. you know, current groups, you know, as a military organization. Or like you said, they're going to become like this missionaries of the land. But I can't see really these people converting to the way of the leaf and promoting, you know, the dragon's peace. Yeah. And at this point, they're not needed it's because everyone, I'm sure there's some bad people out there, but everyone, you know, is a time of peace. So I think every country still has their armies that they can enforce their own laws. And yeah, I think, yeah, I don't know. Good question. Maybe they're I mean, not I don't, yeah, maybe, and maybe they kind of die out because uh, the majority of them were slaughtered, right? I mean, they all yeah. died in the final battle. I mean, you probably have a thousand men left right. in, that were children. And Galad is armless and in the hands of the most beautiful women on the land. I wouldn't go back either. Who happens to be a queen? Who's, who did he end up with? Bear Lane. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, I would yeah. I would just go live with her, man. I know. I'd be like, oh, dang, life's rough, guys. See ya. <laughs> right? <Yeah>. Like, <laughs> I don't know. But uh, but no, they have a, a really great history throughout the, uh, the Third Age. And, you know, it kind of comes into a, a good end with them. Uh, I think one of my favorite sequences with them is when they put Perrin on trial in front of Queen Morghese, you know, and he gets fined guilty, but not of murder, but more of illegally killing somebody. And they let him go. And then they end up fighting. And uh, Perrin comes to their uh, rescue. Remember that? I always I always remember this is when Dom and, uh, Gal- Galad's fighting. And he looks around and he sees, you know, the children getting killed. And some of them are carrying in fear. And he's just like, this is not how it should be. 
the children shouldn't be like this. And uh, I always found that like, like that whole idea, like of them being so self-righteous, like he was so convinced that they were in the right, no matter what, and that light would always triumph, that they could never be hurt. They could never be defeated. And, you know, for me, it was just such a change of, of uh, who the children of the light were. And it happened right at that moment. Yeah. Yeah. I think after the last battle, the, the white cloaks aren't really needed because they evolved during the War of the Hundred Years. And they were needed at that time because the land was in chaos. There's a lot of fighting. But after that, after the last battle, there wasn't a need. And I think because there's so few, and like you said, Galad's going off with Berlin, and there isn't a need for him. So I think they died. Yeah. Maybe they're, they, do they still have their stronghold in Amadicia? No, wait. The Sanchan destroyed it. But I guess they, they could go back and rebuild. Yeah. But I mean, if they don't technically, it's not technically its own nation, then I could see it just dying out like people. Yeah. And w- what would they do, right? I mean, people would mo- mostly just ignore them. And if they annoy them too much, just call the Aiel to fix it, you know, <laughs> yeah. guys kill them or something. But so kind of interesting. I was just reading. So through the white book, if you guys have this, we get a lot of our information from, uh, it's called the white book, but it's actually called the world of Robert Jordan's the wheel of time. By Robert Jordan and Teresa Patterson, but everyone calls it the White Book. Um, but we said earlier, like, man, how do people put up with the children of light? Why are they so strong? Why don't they just shut them out? So it says actually right here in the very next chapter, <laughs> it says, part of the reason the children of the light have thrived without serious challenge is the general lack of military organization and discipline throughout the nations of the land. Since the War of 100 Years, when most military science was lost, armed forces have lapsed into to very casual arrangements. The armies that do exist are in large part levied only when needed. Each levy is usually made up of a group, blah, 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 blah. So basically what it's saying is because uh, Children of Light remain a military organization 100% of the time, and they're always an army, they will always outnumber most countries' armies at any given time, unless the country drafts levies of untrained farmers to put a you know, put an army on the field so they could probably win out of strength and numbers, but what does that cost you? Yeah. And so I think like, like kind of, we said before, you know, they're too big to, uh, to really take head on, but too small to really worry about, but they're still a threat. Yeah. Yeah. And a big part of children of the light, which uh, initially you don't get to later on in the books is it's a very political organization. And as you read in the story, as you move on different books, you get, you see how political their interactions are with other countries. And it's not necessarily military as much it is, as it is political. So mm-hmm. I think Pedro Nile is a, a master at that. And the organization's good at that too, is just, you know, using their political skills to remain in power. Yeah. Well, and then if they were to exist beyond the end, I mean, you know, I think Pedro Nile brought him a sense of uh, um, legitimacy right? Because of who he was. Galad Domadred would most definitely have brought them a sense of legitimacy. You know, the son of a queen, brother of the queen, you know, brother of the new queen, uh, very well respected, husband of now Berylaine, who's a queen, right? Definitely be legitimate in what they're doing. And so I think that's part of, you know, these Lord Captain Commanders too, is like they have a legitimate claim of what they do and people have to respect that. And so like you said, they can say something political, and it, it carries real weight. Yeah. Yeah. So a lot of good stuff there on the White Cloaks and what their organization is and who they are. Thanks for joining us here on the Fourth Taviran podcast as we present this excerpt from one of our previous episodes regarding the Children of the Light. 
If you want to listen to the episode in its entirety, where we talk about the latest Wheel of Time news and review some chapters from The Eye of the World. In this episode, it was chapters 27 through 32. And then the last part of the podcast is what you just listened to. So if you're interested in that or other episodes, check us out on Stitcher, iTunes, Google Podcasts, Anchor.fm, or your favorite podcast app. And you can always find us and all of our episodes on CredibleNerds.com. Once again, thank you very much, and we'll catch you next time.